Now, Birdsong, fun and fascinating talk about the top stories in today's headlines. Birdsong may just be the most qualified talk show host in the business, thanks to his many careers in law, government, and education. Here's your host, Leonard Birdsong. Hello, folks. It's Birdsong again here with you in a new week. I'm so happy to be here. We've got the, uh, my friend EJ with us. We're going to talk about the good, the new, the good, the bad, and the new, the good, the bad, and the ugly of the news as we usually do. There will be some dumb criminal law stories. There's going to be a Paul Harvey story, which is very timely because it comes from North Carolina and has to do with a storm over a hundred years ago. But, um, we've got some dumb criminal law stories that are new. You can always go to Amazon.com if you want to buy some of my books. But let's start with the news of the good. Last week I told you that a star was born. That star was Naomi Osaka, a 20-year-old who won her first Grand Slam tennis match against Serena Williams. 20 years old, from Japan, living in the United States. Not only did she win $3.8 million dollars, She's on her way to further riches. With her Grand Slam title in hand, she's a, she's close to signing a deal, we learn, with Adidas that would make her the brand's highest paid female athlete, according to reports. The deal could be worth up to $10 million a year and may result in the richest endorsement deal ever signed in women's tennis. I guess so. <laughs> Osaka's current four-year deal with Adidas, said to be worth about $100,000 a year, is going to expire on December 31st. Now, she inked a deal with Nissan last week to make the uh, multicultural athlete, the daughter of a Haitian-born father and a Japanese mother raised mainly in the United States, to make her the brand ambassador for the Japanese automaker, Nissan. As a matter of fact, she says, growing up, my dad drove a Nissan, so being part of its brand as an ambassador now feels like I've come full circle. Osaka also has endorsement deals in the works with Yonex, the racket maker, Nissan Foods, and what's called Citizen's Watch. Good for her. 20 years old, and she is rich. She's got three million, three point eight million to start with for winning the tennis match and uh, perhaps $10 million a year from Adidas. Adidas, yes, that's great. Yep, it is. That is a good feeling story. There's another good story that we want to talk to you about, and it has to do with Nike. Nike is doing well. As you know, there was some dust-up and controversy. I guess I was looking for the word dust-up and controversy when Nike made Colin Kaepernick, the former a 49ers football player, the spokesperson for their new ad campaign. Now, things are going well. People Just do it. People thought that this might not work. President Trump said Nike is crazy for doing this. But we find out that the speaker, uh, the Colin Kaepernick ad campaign has lured a rush of new followers to Nike's Instagram account. Since the first ad dropped on Labor Day, a gain of more than 170,000 people 
have signed up for Instagram with Nike. And uh, this doubles Nike's average monthly Instagram gains. So the former San Francisco 49ers quarterback stirred up controversy in 2016 for kneeling during the national anthem to protest racial injustice and police brutality. People started burning their sneakers, burning their socks, things like that. But you know what? Nike stick or stuck with it and they're coming out on top. Their stock is up. Also, they say we're not advertising for 50 year old guys who live in middle America. We are advertising for the world. Kaepernick has a good reputation around the world as a civil rights leader at this time, someone who's protesting Racial injustice and police brutality. He's doing it nonviolently. So, at any rate, that is good. So that's the news of the good. You agree with me on that, EJ? I do. He is taking a risk. He took the the uh, major risk in doing this and and standing, hanging in there despite. It seems he's being ostracized by the by the NFL. Yes, by the NFL. Nobody has hired him. Uh, it seems like, and he's got a lawsuit against uh, against the NFL or against yeah, yeah against, against the, the NFL. NFL, saying that they probably uh, are co- are conspiring conspiring to uh, to ostracize him. But um, I've seen that ad, and it's a good one. Just do it. All right. Okay, so that's the news of the good. Let's talk about the bad. There were several bad things last week. One of them that we know about has been Hurricane Florence, and it has decimated much of the Carolinas. Matter of fact, here's a headline I'm looking at. Misery in North Carolina mounts for residents. All of us have heard about it. The storm started as a uh, stage four hurricane, but by the time it got to land, it was only stage one. But there was lots of rain, and it was a very slow-moving hurricane. So hundreds of people waited in long lines, it's been reported for water and other essentials earlier this week in Wilmington, still mostly cut off by high water days after Hurricane Florence unleashed epic floods. The death toll has now risen to 35 in three states with 27 27 fatalities in North Carolina alone. A lot of water. North Carolina also now faces health and environmental problems after several hog waste lagoons were compromised and sewage plants across the state flooded, releasing millions of gallons of partially treated human discharge. During an aerial tour of a swath of swine country, that's where they grow pigs and hogs, swine country, Counties uh, cover an area of the size of New Jersey. That's a lot of hogs. At any rate, what we have is that some of these um, lagoons are overflowing, and what we have is blue, green, or red bacteria 
They'd break down the feces and urine of the hogs, and it's now getting into the the, uh, rivers and creeks that are flooding. Nasty stuff. Addressing roughly 10,000 people who remain in shelters and countless more staying elsewhere, the governor of the state, Mr. Cooper, urged the residents to stay put for now, particularly from the hard-hit coastal areas. So we see this as bad. People who are denying climate change should reassess what they're saying. I think there is climate change, and it's leading to this kind of thing. As a matter of fact, there are people in North Carolina who are complaining that in 2016 there was a flood because of a hurricane, and many of their houses were destroyed, and it was said to be a thousand-year flood. They wouldn't have another one for a thousand years. Well, two years later, in 2018, another thousand-year flood has come upon them. <laughs> so, so much for <laughs> so much for the climate deniers or the climate change deniers. We feel bad. Our hearts and prayers go out to all of those in North Carolina and South Carolina who are suffering. There was an accident. Today or yesterday, we heard that there were two people in South Carolina. They were mental patients being taken to another location. They were in the back of a van driven by police uh, or authorities of some sort, and they got crossing a river or crossing a bridge that got flooded. The truck got inundated with water. The driver and his partner were able to get out and get on top of the van, but the two people in back drowned. Well, what a sad story. Yeah, weren't they? Uh, they had been arrested for some. They, they they were handcuffed. They were they were handcuffed. Now I didn't know that they were arrested. I just heard that they were mental patients. I don't know what they had done, but it was just a very very sad story. Right. They were they. They could. They were handcuffed, so they couldn't swim up out by themselves. And, and the uh, the driver and his companion couldn't get to them. Right. Couldn't get to the keys to unlock the thing because the water was coming so high. Wasn't this, this there is really an issue dangerous. about these uh, pig farms that are environmentally is an environmental story to that too well there is and I, I was saying a little bit about that we have uh you know they they grow a lot of hogs in north carolina and the thing is is that they have or something raise hogs. they well <laughs> they raise hogs they, at any rate they they have to have a place for the runoff of the feces and urine for the hogs and the environmentalists have these called uh, lagoons. And unfortunately, when you get too much water, the lagoons get inundated and the water and the bad stuff mix together and it flows down into the rivers, mm. which can perhaps get into the groundwater mm-hmm. and will be toxic. Mm. Also, it's probably dangerous to walk around in it unless you've got on special suits, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, they say that it's not as bad as they feared it would be. But I was surprised to learn that they have hog growing in North Carolina the si- in an area the size of New Jersey. Yeah. That's a lot of hogs, a lot of bacon, mm-hmm. wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Well, well they, you know, the issue also is an environmental re- relaxing of 
relaxing of the environmental laws. Yes, that's right. Is that federal environmental laws? Yeah, I think some of it's federal and some of it's probably state. My mm-hmm. understanding is that they uh, they put they ease some of the regulations on these hog uh, lagoons and, you know. Allowing more of them to be built. Yes. And then the environmental laws previously allowed. Right. So that's part of the bad. The bad is what's happened with the Hurricane Florence and how it's inundated the Carolinas. There have been 35, at least 35 deaths now. So that was our bad story. But our other bad story, before we move on, has to do with Paul Manafort. You probably all heard that uh, following his conviction on eight criminal counts in federal court in Virginia last month, his uh, Paul Manafort faced a new trial this past week, supposed to be in Washington, D.C. Now, he was convicted of eight counts of out of 18 in Virginia. And now he's pled guilty to two more counts in Washington, D.C., one for conspiracy to defraud the United States and the second for obstruction of justice. So he's done that and he has agreed to work with the, with the counsel, Mueller, to go to the grand jury and tell them what he knows about what the Trump administration did with respect to colluding with the Russians. We don't know exactly what he will be asked. We don't know exactly what he knows, but the council thinks that he knows something. Now, I can just tell you that people have been writing about this. First came George Papadopoulos. He was the former Trump campaign advisor who was arrested by the FBI when he stepped off a plane in Dallas, Dulles Airport. And uh, he lied to the FBI, and he's been sentenced now. Talked about that last week. Then there was Michael Flynn, the president's former security advisor, who admitted to lying to the FBI. He's cooperating with Mr. Mueller, and supposedly he will be sentenced sometime after the midterm elections. Then there was Rick Gates. He was the former deputy campaign manager to Mr. Trump. He pled guilty, and uh, now it is... Mr. Manafort's turn. Now, with this sentencing, he hasn't been sentenced in the either the Virginia case or in the Washington, D.C. case. But let me tell you about Virginia. Part of his agreement was we know that he was convicted of uh, four counts, eight counts out of 18, and there were 10 counts which the jury was hung on. Well, to get his plea agreement in Washington, D.C., he also had to agree to plead guilty to the 10 counts that were uh, not brought back by the jury. In other words, he's now guilty of 18 counts in Virginia. He can get a sentence of at least 10 years for that. He will not be able to vote. He'll lose his rights. He won't be able to have firearms. However, in Washington, D.C., he only pled to two counts, and the agreement says that he won't get, won't get more than 10 years, and he might get much less if he cooperates and provides information to help 
the uh, special counsel to wrap all of this up. So it's bad, not just bad for Manafort. It may be somewhat good for him. He says he's done this. He's taken this plea because he wants or doesn't want his family to suffer any more than they have to. Now, one of the startling things that most people don't understand, not only did Paul Manafort plead guilty, agree to work and cooperate with the special counsel, but he also has forfeited $46 million, forfeited it to the government in these racketeering, conspiracy, obstruction trials. The government can forfeit your assets, assets that are gained by your wrongdoing. Now, $46 million, this is, entails a lot of real estate and some bank accounts. How do they come up with the number that? Well, they have the number of what all of his assets are worth. And they brought that out in the first trial. So. Well, how do they determine how much he, he has to forfeit? Well, he, he agreed to forfeit that much. He right. had more than that. Right. But that's what they agreed upon. Okay. Is it based on the specific data or they want to be reimbursed for something? No, what it is is that the things that he bought, many of the things that he bought when you total them up were worth about $46 million. We're talking about real estate. We're talking about the ostrich jacket, the uh, money he hid in secret bank accounts in the Cayman Islands and other places like that. Now, he probably has other money, but the government's not going to go after that. They don't want to take everything he has. They want his family to be able to live. But right. when you when you have ill-gotten gains and you get convicted, your assets can be forfeited to the government. And that's what's going to happen now. People say that's a lot of money. They also complain that the council or the special counsel investigation is costing a lot of money. You know how much it is up to now? What's that? $27 million. Twenty-seven million, but the government is going to get forty-six million just from Manafort. So they're coming out ahead. So this is all the bad. Now we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the ugly. We've talked about the good. We've talked about the bad. We're going to take a break. Pause for the cause here. Stick with us. Maybe you'll learn something you didn't know. Hey folks, this is Bert Song back with you. Always happy to be happy with you on the radio here. We've been talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly of the week that we want to talk about. EJ is here with me. Today we want to talk about, or right now, we want to talk about the ugly, some of the ugly that happened last week. Probably everyone's heard now that President Trump made a claim that there was a Democratic plot to inflate the death toll in Puerto Rico from Hurricane Maria. That was last year. Hurricane Maria hit uh, Puerto Rico and devastated it. And uh, this set off a firestorm when we learned that there were about 2,975 deaths reported. Now, Trump says when he left the island, he did visit it after the hurricane, that there are only 64 deaths, and he's saying that in a pair of 
Twitter post that the official toll of 2,975 was inflated by Democrats in order to make him look bad as possible. Oh, get over yourself. Yes, everything is about him. But everyone is not on his side because even some Republicans have come out against him saying this. Now, where did this figure come from? It came from a, a study that was done by a university in Washington, D.C. that took this on for Puerto Rico to find out how the people died or how many people died. It was more than 64 because of the conditions there. People couldn't get air conditioned. People couldn't get clean water. People couldn't get to the hospitals. But this one is person. a very, very ugly, very ugly thing. Yeah, there was one person who was in an ambulance taken to a hospital, and the hospital turned him away because they lost electricity. And so the man died in the ambulance. Yep, that was a very sad one, too. Now, critics have come out against this tweet. They've denounced it. We have two people running for um, office in Florida. Ron DeSantis is a GOP nominee for governor. Trump has endorsed him. However, DeSantis says that the content comments is um, the comments are no good. He doesn't like this. He says he's tried to help Puerto Rico. He, that is DeSantis, says that he believes the death toll. Also, we have a man running for the Senate. His name is Scott. He's now the governor of Florida. He's also come out against Trump, although he's been a Trump supporter. He's distancing himself from these comments. He's running against the uh, current senator, who is Democrat, Senator Bill Nelson. And I think that Trump came out with this in order to give these two Republican candidates a chance to uh, show their support for the island of Puerto Rico. And that's because there are a large number of uh, Puerto Ricans who are living in Florida. And the hope is that that, that will sh- give them an opportunity, which it, it did, to come out and show their support for them. Uh, Trump, you know, said that he was going to do all he could to get Republicans elected. And remember, he has um, Trump, what is that, Mar-a-Lago here in Florida. So he wants to have influence over who would be governor of the state. And um, he also wants to have input on who is going to be uh, representing Florida in uh in co- in congress and if he if if nelson is not reelected then he'll have one more republican senator so there's more to this well that's a good analysis it's a very good analysis after the hurricane in puerto rico thousands of puerto ricans came to florida to live because their houses and homes and businesses were destroyed they are american citizens In Puerto Rico, they do not vote for president, but they are American citizens. If those citizens from Puerto Rico come to the United States and establish a residence, they have the right to vote. They are on the United States soil. Puerto Rico is a territory of the United States. Okay, So you might be right. It's a good analysis that you've come up with, EJ, that 
maybe Trump is doing this. It sounds foolish to us to deny that almost 3,000 people died. That's what he was saying. He doesn't believe that 3,000 people died. Even though there's an independent study conducted by George Washington University. And what they did was they determined that there are certain techniques that you use or models you use to determine uh, hurricane deaths. And the, those deaths that they talked about, almost 3,000 more, were the excess deaths that they determined would not have happened had the hurricane not hit the island. All right. Thank you for that. Now, look. We got one more ugly story to talk about. It's the one that's been on every newscast for the last few days. It has to do, and this is ugly, it has to do with the confirmation process for Brett Kavanaugh to be uh, a justice of the Supreme Court. The Washington Post wrote, what was once nearly a sure thing confirming, confirming consider, let's start that again. What was once a nearly sure thing confirming conservative-leaning Justice Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court is now in question after a woman accused him of sexually assaulting her decades ago while they were in high school. Now, you've all heard that Kavanaugh denies the allegation. Christine Blassie Ford is the professor in California now who was the young lady who had been assaulted allegedly by Mr. Kavanaugh, when they were teenagers in prep school, they both went to prep school in Maryland, just outside of Washington, D.C. Now, as a result of this, the Republicans thought they had a shoe in last Thursday. They wanted to vote on the full nomination. Things blew up in their faces. And every day now we have something different happening. Brett Kavanaugh now wants to testify next week before the Senate again, the Judiciary Committee, it's called. There are 11 Republicans on that committee, no women. There are 10 Democrats, four women of them. But now what's happened lately is the Miss Ford, or Professor Ford, says she doesn't want to come and testify until the FBI has done an investigation of this, and this is what usually happens in these kinds of cases. Of course, the Republicans don't want that. They want to push this through as quickly as possible. But we will see what happens here. The Republicans have to be very careful of what they're doing here because there may be a backlash. Many people remember, at least people who are as old as I am, the uh, Thomas Clarence, Clarence Thomas. Thomas back in 1991, he was accused of harassment by who? Anita, a professor, Anita Hill. That's exactly she right. She was a law professor. That's right. And they didn't believe her, and they went ahead and they they voted for Thomas to become on the Supreme Court despite the things he supposedly had done. He's still on the Supreme Court. But in the next year, several women were uh voted into Congress, at least six in the House and at least four in the Senate. First time we had that many women in one election. Including Diane Feinstein, wasn't it? No, she was no. there already. No, I don't know that. I can't say that. 
Uh, I, I'm not sure if she was there already. She just wasn't on the committee, though, for sure. But at any rate, uh, what we have here is a story that changes every day. The latest that we've heard is that she doesn't want to come for this hearing, which is set for Monday the 17th. She doesn't want to come because she's been getting death threats. She's had to move to another home because people know where she lives. They've hacked into her computer. And that's exactly right. Death threats of all kinds. But again, this is a changing story. My belief is, and this is just my opinion, having spent much of my life in Washington, D.C., that this may end by the president withdrawing the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh has been going to the White House every day since this happened to talk with the counsel, Jim, um, Mr. McGahn, about what they should do about this and what his testimony is going to be. We know that the Senate panel or committee, wants to hear from Ms. Ford, but she wants to do it on her terms, not their terms. She wants to know why are they rushing it. And I agree. But, you know, a lot of things can happen. Maybe maybe the Republicans will just push this on through, but the fear is that there will be another uprising by Democratic women who are going to run people out of office. Well, exactly. Well, it's going to support the Democrats' efforts. Just like happened in 1992 right. after the Clarence Thomas, Thomas debacle. Hearings. Right, it, and Professor Anita Hill was on the news. She's saying that that this new professor uh, was right to ask for an investigation. And no, it's a he said, he said, she said. You're not going to necessarily prove anything. You're going to, har- but the Republicans will harass um, the accuser, just like they ever harassed Anita Hill. And when you normally, if you're accusing somebody of uh, a crime of of uh, sexual uh, abuse, a battery, you go to the police department, file your claim. They don't have you testify before. Uh, in a in a hearing or a court proceeding, they do conduct an investigation first. That's right. And they said that they did have a, a short uh, investigation by the FBI uh, of Anita Hill's charges um, before she testified. So what's wrong with this picture? Why why can't they do it now, huh? Exactly. Well, because they want to push Mr. Kavanaugh through. And make him a Supreme Court judge. One of the reasons being he's written these articles that say that a president, a sitting president should not be investigated no matter what he does, that he shouldn't be subpoenaed because of anything he may have done in office. Also, he's just a, a, a right. He likes to hang to the right. He will, he thinks, or we think, he will probably help overturn Roe v. Wade that allows legal abortion in the United States. Gives a woman a choice. That's exactly right. Well, anyway, this is The Ugly Folks. The Brett Kavanaugh nomination is up in the air. I think it's in danger. I would not be surprised if, as things move on, his name will be withdrawn. But we will see. This is Birdsong. Stick with us, there's still more. 
this is Birdsong. I'm here with my friend EJ. We've been talking about the news of the past week, the good, the bad, the ugly as we see it, giving our opinions. Maybe you learned something from it. We're going to have change gears here and do some things that are a little more lighthearted. As you know, I collect dumb criminal stories. I have several books. You can find them on Amazon.com. Our first story today comes from Florida. The headline reads, Hoist by his own droopy pants. <laughs> a sagging pair of pants foiled a man's wild attempt to avoid arrest. Tobias Smith, 24, was arrested in mid-May of this year following a foot chase in Daytona Beach, and he was charged with fleeing and eluding, among other violations. Police had tried to pull Smith over for undisclosed reasons, but he allegedly ran a red light to get away before crashing and taking off on foot. The chase didn't last long. Why? Because his pants fell down and caused him to trip. (laughs) (laughs) Hoist by his own droopy pants. All right. Another story from Florida. There are several of them today. This one read, the headline read, Tacky Prom Stunt. You may have heard of this, folks. It's been reported that animal rights advocates are roaring mad over a tacky prom stunt. Christopher Columbus High School in Miami brought a tiger to its jungle-themed prom. A video that was released shows the stressed tiger pacing around in a small cage as dance music was being loudly played. School officials apologized for allowing the stunt, but the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission is investigating. Oh, boy. Tacky prom stunt. Tacky prom stunt, huh? Florida. Headline. He wanted to reach new heights. Maybe. It's been reported that recently a naked man streaking through the Daytona airport tried to dash onto an airplane runway. Oh, gosh. John Greenwood was his name. Allegedly, he strolled into a ladies' restroom and stripped down on his to his birthday suit before running wildly through the airport and threatening to bomb the place. Authorities revealed that the man tried to escape onto the tarmac, but was stopped with a blast from a taser and taken into custody by a police. We do not know why he got naked and ran through the airport. We do not know why he wanted to bomb the place, but we know he was taken into custody. They threw a blanket around him because they couldn't get to his clothes right away. <laughs> he, well, he had... He, he, you can't you can't say that he had a hidden bomb on him. That's for sure. The headline, he wanted to reach new heights, maybe. Another story from Florida. The novelty fish on the noggin, said the headline. Novelty fish on the noggin. A man was recently charged with striking his long-term, his long-time boyfriend in the head with a novelty singing fish. You remember those? They used to advertise them on television. The big mouth bass that sang. Oh, right. Gregory Carney is his name. He's 54 years old, town of Sebastian, Florida, allegedly hurled the big mouth Billy Bass at Larry Timmerman, who had thrown it in the trash. <laughs> Novelty fish on the noggin, folks. Hmm. Here's another one. This is a, not funny. This is sort of sad. The headline says, failed attempt at unlocking a cell phone. A woman is very upset over the fact that two police detectives used her dead fiancé's finger to try to unlock his cell phone. 
The Largo, Florida police detective slipped into a funeral home in Clearwater, Florida, and pressed Linus Phillips' finger against the phone but could not gain access to it, according to his fiancée, fiance, rather, Victoria Armstrong. The detectives claimed to be investigating a drug-related case that involved Phillips, 30, who was shot and killed by police in March of this year, 2018. A failed attempt at unlocking a cell phone. Hmm. Yet another story from Florida. Headline, Don't Mess with the Manatees. We learn that Luis Perez, 49, he's a fisherman, learned that lesson the hard way. After he slapped the water around a group of, group of 16 mating manatees on Longboat Key. I've been there. He was charged with harassment and sent to jail, according to police. Why? It's illegal to poke, prod, pursue, feed, or any way alter the natural behavior of manatees in Florida. Don't mess with the manatees, folks. <laughs> okay, here's one from Germany. Headline. S&M, maybe. S&M, maybe. We learn that police summoned to a home for a report of suspected domestic abuse instead walked into a scene out of Fifty Shades of Grey. When the police arrived at the apartment in the town of Neustadt on der Weisestrasse, they found a tenant giving a couple an introduction class on the basics of erotic bondage. The couple was well and in a good mood, the police said. They left without making an arrest. <laughs> S&M, maybe? <laughs> okay. Wow. This story, the next one, is from India. The headline, Patience is a Virtue. He Needed Some. A man in India took frustration over airline travel to new heights by stabbing himself in the stomach with a ballpoint pen. The 37-year-old was so upset by a three-hour Air India delay in Mumbai that he flew into a rage and jammed the pen into his guts, causing mild bleeding. He was rushed to a hospital. And the plane took off without him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, patience is a virtue, and he needed some. Oh, how true that headline is, huh? That's right. All right, here's one from Indiana. MWI, mowing while intoxicated. A man in the town of Franklin, Indiana, was arrested for drunkenly mowing someone else's yard. Barry Ridge is his name, 46 first cut his neighbor's grass and then headed down the road. The unappreciative neighbor called the police on Ridge, who has been in trouble in the past for mowing while intoxicated. Records show. MWI. I never heard of it. Mowing while intoxicated. I don't understand people calling the police. They kind of... They don't have to pay a gardener to do that. Well, again, I guess they want to mow their own lawn. I guess so. Our last story is from Iowa. Headline. Love is a battlefield. A Council Bluff, Ohio man, wearing only his underwear and clutching a bottle of vegetable oil, was arrested in April of this year for chasing his girlfriend, who tried to shoot him with a taser. The woman allegedly refused to leave the man's house, so he bit her arm. Chaos ensued. The man intended to dump the vegetable oil on the woman, police said. 
There must be more to this story than meets the eye. Love is a battlefield, says the headline. <laughs> Those are your dumb criminal law stories for this week. We've got some riddles for you. These are easy ones. EJ, why was six afraid of seven? You probably know it, but save your answer to the end of the show. The next riddle, how do lumberjacks use the Internet? Finally, a fellow said he thought onions were the only food that made him cry until what? A man thought onions were the only food that made him cry until what? Well, we'll come back with the answers at the end of the show. We're going to take another break here, and we'll be back with a Paul Harvey story and a thought for the week. Stick with us. Okay, we're back with you, almost the end of the show. I'm having fun here, and so is EJ, and maybe you're learning some things that you didn't know. We talked early in the show about the awful flooding in North Carolina and in the Carolinas generally because of the Hurricane Florence. There's a Paul Harvey story that is very timely, and I'm going to tell this story today. It's called An Act of, An Act of God, and it comes from North Carolina. There are only two possible explanations for what you're about to read. It was either the most phenomenal coincidence that ever occurred, or it was an act of God, literally. And remember, as you learn what happened on that rainy Thursday afternoon more than a 100 summers ago, that a stack of sworn statements and legal documents say that it was so. There was just one problem with Swan Quarter. Swan Quarter. North Carolina. It was a lowland town, so naturally the choicest real estate was on the highest ground. In the event of a heavy rain, the closer you were to sea level, the harder you were hit. More than a 100 years ago, the Methodists of Swan Quarter had no church. And the only lot available on which to build one was a plot of low-lying property on Oyster Creek Road. It was far from ideal, but they acquired the land and construction began. The church was to be white frame, small but sturdy, propped up on brick pilings. In 1876, the building was completed, and on Sunday, September 16th, a joyous dedication ceremony was celebrated. Now, that was Sunday, September 16th. Three days later, on Wednesday, a terrible storm latched, a terrible storm lashed Swan Quarter. All day the wind howled and the rain came down in a gray wall of water. By nightfall, devastation. Much of the town was flooded. Many roofs were ripped from the homes from the cyclonic turbulence. The storm raged on all through the night and into the bleak morning. By Thursday afternoon, the wind subsided. The rain all but stopped. For the first time in more than a day, there was an almost eerie calm. One by one, the citizens of Swan Quarter threw back their shutters and peered from what was left of their homes. Most saw only a desolate waterscape, a community ravaged by nature. But those within sight of Oyster Creek Road beheld the most incredible sight they had ever seen. 
the church, the Swan Quarter Methodist Church, the whole building intact was floating down the street. The floodwaters had gently lifted the entire structure from the brick pilings on which they had rested, and it sent it off slowly, silently, down Oyster Creek Road. Wow. Within minutes, several concerned town folks were sloshing about in the street, waist-deep, fighting the rushing current, trying desperately to reach the still-moving church so they could moor it with lengths of rope. Hmm. The ropes were fastened, but the effort was in vain. There was no stable structure secure enough to restrain the floating chapel. And as the building passed by, more attention was attracted. More aid was enlisted, to no avail. The church moved on. By now, the building had made it to the center of town, still on Oyster Creek Road. Then, as dozens amazed, helpless, watched the Swan Quarter Methodist Church, still floating, make a sharp, inexplicable right turn and continue down that road as though the chapel were alive <laughs> and as though it had a mind of its own. For two more blocks, the townspeople fought the ropes to hold it back unsuccessfully. And then, in the same decisive manner with which it had moved, the church veered off the road, headed for the center of a vacant lot there, stopped. While the flood water receded, the church remained, it's there, or been there, until this day. Over a hundred summers have passed since the little white frame church removed itself to the most desirable property in Swan Quarter. In the process of making up your own mind as to how and why what happened, you ought to know one more thing. It's the rest of the story. The choice highland lot where the chapel settled was the first choice of the town Methodists for the site of their church. And the shrewd, prosperous landowner whose property it was originally turned them down. But the next morning after the flood, after discovering the church in the middle of the lot, that same landowner went to the Methodist minister and with trembling hands presented him with the deed to the property. Mm-hmm. And now you know the rest of the story. An act of God. <laughs> How about that, huh? Mm-hmm. That landowner knew he better turn that All right. Turn that deed over. All right. All right, let's finish here with some riddles. I have the answers here. I think you probably know this first one, EJ. Why was six afraid of seven? Why was six afraid of seven? He was afraid he was going to... Because... Oh, because seven, eight, nine. You got it. That's right. Why did six... Or why was six afraid of seven? Because seven, eight, nine. You're absolutely right. Good. All right, next one. How do lumberjacks use the Internet? That I don't know. Oh, it's simple. They log in. (laughs) All right, this is the last one. Fellow thought that onions were the only food that made him cry until what? A man thought onions onions were the only food that made him cry until a coconut fell on his head. (laughs) if a coconut falls on your head it'll bring tears to your eyes i'm sure about that all right folks we're having a great time here but we've got to go here's our thought or my thought for the week 
Beware of those who seek to take care of you, lest your take caretakers become your jailers. Beware of those who seek to take care of you, lest your caretakers become your jailers. This is Birdsong, and that's my thought of the week. I love being here with you. Love here being with my friend EJ. We'll be back next week for more good, bad, ugly news and some stories for you. This is Birdsong. See you next week.